0: March is not just the Mission Experiment Month for anybody who cares, and I do. It's March madness, and that's right. Uh, every year, uh, this is my favorite time of year. Um, very close second is bowl season for football. Uh, and I realize that not everybody in our church is an, you know, an ignorant jock like me. So, for those of you who are artistic, forgive my once again foray into all things athletic. Uh, I am fond of quoting the late Jim Valvano. Now, if you don't know who Jim Valvano is, he was the coach of the NC State Wolfpack, who in 1983 miraculously led this team of overachievers to the national championship where they beat the, the heavily favored Houston Cougars. And you can you know, learn all about it by just going and watching an ESPN 30 for 30 special on Jim Valvano. It's really quite an inspirational guy. But I remember very specifically something he said back in 1983 when they won the championship. And and I quote, he said, We've got to control the game and put ourselves in position to win the game. Going down the stretch, we want to have a chance to win the game. His strategy for his underachieving, smaller team was, We just got to keep it close because then in the last two minutes, anything's possible. And that's true. You can keep a team that is not favored close to a team that is favored. Uh, They have a chance at the end to make it happen. And they actualize this out to a national championship. A position to win. I'll give you a practical example of that from this past week's news. It may not be the most holy example in the world, but it's actually true nonetheless. It's that time of year again, as you saw in our lobby, time when your local market entrances are flooded with Girl Scouts selling boxes of Samoas, tag-alongs, thin mints. But one 13-year-old girl and Girl Scout in San Francisco and her mother made a rather business-savvy decision to sell cookies outside of a medical marijuana dispensary. Last week, she and her mom set up outside the Green Cross store with cookies and she sold 117 boxes in two hours. Now, that makes good sense to me. I mean, that is, you know, if you're going to sell cookies, you got to find people with the munchies, and then, you know, you'll find people who are smoking grass. Now, again, I realize that for some of you that might be problematic, and whatever. The Girl Scouts have subsequently discouraged all Girl Scouts from selling cookies outside of medical marijuana dispensaries, <laughs> but I think that's good business savvy, frankly, and, and, what she was basically doing, though, was saying, I'm going to put myself in a position to win. If you'd like a more sanctified version, set up outside a Weight Watcher's office or, or something along those lines. You know, you've got to find where the need is and, and, and meet it. Now, you say, well, what's this all about? I have not just the theory. I have, an, from personal experience, knowledge that what keeps many of us from being part of the process Of seeing our friends or family members or anybody else for that matter come to know Christ through us, that the reason that happens is because we're not really in a position to do anything about it. I was in Australia a week and a half ago, and I after the the service, I I went to the reception and I'm all by myself, and I noticed uh, a person who was sitting all by themselves. And, and I walked up to them and I said, you mind if I sit with you? And they said, sure. And, and this person happened to have a role in the wedding. And so I introduced myself and I talked to them. And, and over the course of that time, I was amazed because they, and I'll just say she, began to ask questions about God. And the kind of questions she was asking were so relevant to where I was. She was asking the kind of questions as a performer that I had been wrestling through for years. You know, what does it mean to actually find your identity in something other than what you do? How, how can you get past the fact that you live a life where you're worried about what other people think? And then she also was dealing with some emotional psychological issues, some chemical imbalance issues, which have been a part of my family's history. And so I sympathetically began to just kind of explain to her that, yeah, no, God's really interested, and he's got a sympathetic heart. And I could tell that her spirit was opening. And then she started quoting Jesus without even realizing she was quoting Jesus. She was saying things like, you know, I realize that I, you know, I mean, I could gain the whole world but lose my soul. And I said, you do realize that that's in the Bible? And she goes, really? And then she would go on, and she she would say things like, I mean, I'd like to love other people, but how can I really love anybody unless I really love myself? And how can I love myself unless I know God loves me? And if I don't know God loves me, I'm just not sure I can live. And I said, you know, that's biblical too. I couldn't believe it. It was like a, it was like a perfect setup. It was like playing volleyball and having somebody set the ball, and all you had to do from an evangelistic standpoint was, pooh, you know, and spike that baby home. It's kind of like your dream moment, you know. If you really want to be used by Jesus, you say, How did this happen? And for me, I, I was fortunate enough to be in a position to do something about it. I mean, obviously, I'm a minister at times, especially in this country. That doesn't work to my advantage. In other countries, apparently, it does, especially if you're an American. My experience with believers, and I have asked this question of many, many Christians. I've asked this in the other church that I planted in Florida, which was to ask people, have they ever played a role... And helping somebody come to know faith. Now that that doesn't necessarily mean you've actually held hands with somebody and said, okay, repeat after me. I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life. It just means, have you ever got the sense that God was working through you to reach other people? And so many Christians have said no. And then I would ask them a very basic question. Do you know anybody who doesn't know Christ? There is an alarming trend that is taking place particularly in large American cities where Christians who would claim to know Christ would become ingrown. They would insulate themselves for fear of any number of things that would happen. And so they cease allowing others to be part of their world. It ends up being sort of like a middle school clique. You gotta keep everybody else out. There may be any number of reasons why they would justify doing such a thing, too. It could be their doctrinal purity, or it could be concerns about the lifestyles of other people. But whatever it is, it has effectively created a church in many places that is ingrown. And this month, we're actually launching into a series that would encourage us as a young church to think about Whether we're believers in a position to be used by God to make a difference for Jesus in the lives of people who don't know that he loves them. And what I mean by that, don't know that he loves them, is very broad. Our mission is not only to help people who've never met or known anything about Christ find Christ. A big component of our ministry is to revive believers, people who have been in church, who actually have a heart for the Lord, who at a certain point in their life actually said, you know, I really am interested in what God thinks, but maybe their own problems, their own struggles, or some wacky church experience they had has made them think, you know what? I got nothing to do with that. In many cases, it's a bad presentation of the gospel of grace. They think they have to get it all together, keep it all together, or they can't enjoy God. And God has said, you're never going to get it all together. And apart from me, you can't keep any of it together. And so we teach a gospel that says when you blow it, you run to God, not from God. And so we want very much to reach the people in your life who used to go to church. It's an enormous part of our population base. This month, we're engaging in what we call the mission experiment. And it's really designed... To get us to start following Jesus in this regard. Last week we demonstrated, if you haven't heard the message, you can listen online, that this is not an optional command for believers. We are called to be used of God to allow Him to speak through us to the people in our lives. This month, we're going to look at a few things. There's going to be five messages, five Sundays in March about our role as missionaries, looking at it from the book of Acts. And we're using the book of Acts purposefully. This morning, Gabe Huskin and I had a conversation where he asked the question, why is our church network called the Acts 29 network? He rightly observed that there is no chapter 29 in the book of Acts. For those of you who don't know what that's about, what it means is is that we believe the mission is continuing. Our movement of churches has said there are a group of churches that are orthodox in their theology, correct in their understanding of all things biblical. But they've ceased reaching out to others. And so our sense is that the mission is continuing and so we are the 29th chapter of Acts. So hence the Acts 29 network. We're going to look at the book of Acts as it relates to our mission. We're going to have on Sunday nights as we have this past month and we will for every month to continue a Sunday prayer chapel where we're going to commit to the experience of asking God to use us. Uh, Each day, Monday through Friday anyway, I'm going to send out some prayer thoughts. I'm going to blog about them. I'm going to email or text. Uh, I'm going to encourage you to read them. I'll send you a PDF copy if you're too lazy to click on a link. All that to say, I, I really want us to genuinely begin to immerse ourselves in thinking about whether or not there are opportunities for us to be missionaries right where we are. Our methodology, if you have to have a methodology is merely to pray. Now, I'm going to today walk through that with you. It's an acronym. You've been given the Mission Experiment card. It looks like a Blockbuster card. You can put it in your wallet. Blockbuster's out of business. We're not. Okay, so what I'm saying is we have a particular methodology that is not uh, we walk up to strangers on the street. We'll talk a little bit about why we don't do that. Uh, it is rooted in the notion that it takes God to do these miraculous things. It takes God We can put ourselves in a position, but that does not seal the deal. We have to have the Lord show up in meaningful ways. This methodology of prism is really one that comes from your pastor, so I'll take responsibility for it. It's not perfect in any stretch of the imagination, but as the late D. James Kennedy once said, I prefer my imperfect evangelistic strategy to your non-existent one. And so, you know, we'll deal with the disappointments associated with your pastor's shortcomings at another date. Now, before we launch into today's look, which is really a look at our methodology, our pray methodology, our strategy, and this is today's title, Know Your Strategy. In order to be used by the Lord in any meaningful way, you've got to know exactly what it is you're going to do. Jim Valvano and the NC State Wolfpack had a strategy. We're going to keep this game close. We're not as talented as these folks. So what we're going to do is try to keep this thing close, and then one, if we're fortunate, at the moment... Of uh, truth. In the last couple of minutes, we can turn this game around. What's going to be our strategy? I mean, if you say, I, I think in my heart I want to be used by God, you say, I'm relatively convinced based on your amazing sermon last week that we are all called. That was semi-sarcastic. There was supposed to be sort of laughter in there uh, that, we, that we're all called to be a part of this process. All right. Now, what now? I say, yeah, you've got to know what that's going to look like. This I believe, is taken from the book of Acts. Now, presumptively, and again, I recognize that not everybody that comes to a church is a Christian. Uh, some think they're Christians and just don't understand like how, how loved they really are by God. And they still think they're trying to work it out. and Maybe God will like me if I stop doing this or that. Uh, some people come, they have no interest in spiritual things, but they were invited by a friend. And for this month, I'm going to have to recognize that, that there may be people either listening online or be here in person that would say, I don't have any idea what this person's talking about. And I'm going to risk that for the benefit of saying to all of us that we've got to know what it is that God wants to do in and through us if our church is going to be effective in, you know, achieving its stated mission. And phase one of that's Stated, or phase two of that stated mission is reaching our friends. The presumption before we study is that a person who would even be interested in this sermon would know the love of God, would know Jesus, and would actually be enjoying Jesus. So, assuming that you know Jesus, assuming that you uh, are enjoying Jesus, assuming that you're, you're not feeling like this is a part, as we talked about last week, a part of how you're going to be saved, bang on doors and interrupt people's lives and irritate people who you don't know. Uh, this is not about us becoming okay with God. We've been made okay with Jesus. This is about presuming we have in a relationship with God. What does methodologically, what does it look like practically? How do you go from point A to point B in terms of being used by Jesus. And so we're going to look at Philip's life, Philip, from the New Testament book of Acts. The first thing I'll share with you this morning is this. You can take notes, or you can trust me. They'll be behind me. Philip was positioned to serve Jesus. And this is phase one. If you look on the back of your card that you received, this is the first part of our acronym, our methodological acronym, which is P, pray, the P and pray is positioning ourselves to befriend others. Verse 26 of Acts chapter eight, the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandaki. Now, Philip was actually in a place where he could be used by God. He was positioned where he was supposed to be. For many of us, you may say, well, what does that mean for me? You are already positioned. You are already placed someplace. You work someplace. You live someplace. So it's not like you've got to go looking for someplace. It's a matter of actually opening your eyes to seeing what your circumstances are. Philip allowed his life circumstances to guide his strategic position. Let me tell you a little bit about Philip. Philip. He was appointed a deacon. You can read about this earlier in Acts chapter 6. He was uh, one of the seven they referred to him as. And that's uh, what later in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 21, the, the apostle Luke refers to Philip as the evangelist, one of the seven. He was one of the seven deacons. His gifting, according to the apostles of the church, was to lead in the organization of service to the poor. And yet, like another of the seven, Stephen he recognized that he had a love and a desire to tell others about Jesus. Stephen was the first martyr. He was a deacon, but he was telling people about Jesus, and then they threw rocks at him until he died. All right, so Philip, same thing. His, His designation, his gifting might be, you know, I'm doing this for the church, and this has more of a diaconate sort of service to the poor, helping the others. But he still had a compulsion, something in him that said, I not only have a responsibility, I have a desire to share this with other people. And in the earlier part of Acts chapter 8, it seems that Philip along with others from the church in Jerusalem were under severe persecution and then they would get busted out. They would end up going all kinds of different places and according to verses 4 through 6 of Acts chapter 8, those who had been scattered preach the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. So Philip was just in a regular habit of saying, this is where I am, and this is the position I find myself in, and I am going to at least be alert to the opportunities that are right in front of me. For us... We have to ask ourselves how and where we would be able to make the gospel known to people who don't know Jesus. In the first century, it was pretty standard practice for people to just go into the middle of a city square and start yelling. And it was kind of like their entertainment. I mean, they didn't have TV or Internet. You know, they didn't have movies. movies or, so, you know, for real entertainment, you go to the city square and see what the crazies are saying. In our day, you go to the city square and start doing that, people just think you're on something. You know, if I go to the mall and start going, oh you know, people are gonna be like, there's a crazy person in the mall called security. And 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 like you say, you know, how effective are the crazies that follow the parade on, on January 1st in Pasadena? You know, you got this beautiful parade, and then at the end of the parade, you've got these people who are seriously imbalanced, and they come along and they just start yelling at people and they hold signs, you're going to hell. And, and they, they may be right at some level, but they're crazy. I mean, and people in the culture actually think they're crazy, and accurately so. I mean, you so, say, you know, how effective is that? Well, it's not very effective. You and I would both reasonably know that the people in our lives are going to come to know Jesus the way we came to know Jesus. In each and every church I have ever been a pastor of, we've done a survey, and we did one not long ago by hands here. And that was, we asked people, how'd they come to know Christ? Was it through a stranger? Was it through a person on the street throwing literature at them? Was it a television evangelist? Or was it a friend or a family member? And with rare exception, it's always a friend or a family member. In our culture, our positioning ourselves has to be to befriend others. But often when Christians are asked about the time they have, or whether or not they're willing to make friends with people, the answer is they don't have time for that. They have little or no spare time or spare space in their life where they could be close to someone who doesn't know the love of Christ. And so you and I have to take a serious look at, do, are we open to the idea of going to lunch with people from our workplace and beginning to build friendships in the holes in our schedule that we have? Are we willing to be able to curb some of our social activities so we can interact with people? I'm not talking about making your whole life about something. That's an extreme statement. I'm saying, can you find any hole in your schedule? Carolyn and I have again and again had to reset this in our lives because it's changed. For us, our our entree into the lives of positioning ourselves to be there for people was our kids. And now that our kids are 18 and 19 and in college as of this summer, both of them... You know, we don't have the networks of their, kid, their friends' parents, which is historically the way we have most of the time connected with people who didn't know the Lord. It is how we have been fortunate enough to be part of helping some people come to know Christ. It was just through the activities of our kids. So now that we're into this semi empty nest syndrome, we're both having to say, how, how, what does this look like for us? So we're, we're not at an arrival point. We're back at the beginning, like some of you. We're saying, what does this mean? And are we willing to let our neighbors into our lives? Are we willing to um, make holes in our schedule for people who aren't part of our church family? You know, I recently went on a cruise, as many of you know. I can't tell you all the details here, but I'll just say this much. There is a downside to going on a cruise and that is that every lonely and outgoing person on the planet seems to be on a boat and wants to talk to you, and all you want to be is left alone. I mean, I hate going to dinner on a cruise because you have to talk to strangers and make small talk about nothing. And, and you'd think that a guy like me would enjoy that. No, sir. When I get someplace where I get free food, I don't have any time to talk, I am busy. <laughs> shoveling it in, you know what I mean? And I certainly don't want to hear about your family. Blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean. And so you, uh, when you go on vacation, I know it sounds cruel and mean and I'm horrible, get over it. But at the same time, that, when you go on vacation, you're like, I want to rest here. I don't want to hear about your... Blah. I, I just want to be left alone. Now, while you might be able to find an excuse for that on a vacation, a, parent, a parenthesis in life where you go, okay, I'm on vacation. As a pastor, I really don't want to do ministry and there's arguments against that as well. I would say there's no question that for all of us in life, there's no room for saying, I don't have time for people. There, there's no biblical justification. If you're going to say, I'm a mature Christian, there's no biblical justification for saying, my life is my own. I do not have time for anybody. Unless you fit into my little world, I'm not going to make any effort to reach out to you. That would contradict the teachings of Jesus on unbelievably number a high number of levels. And so we have to look at that. Philip was positioned to serve Jesus. Second thing is this. Philip was regularly talking with Jesus. Look at verses 27 and 28. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Look at verse 29. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Now we read this and oftentimes, people will read verse 29 and think, you know, Philip was going about his business. He was playing Nintendo, or he was, he was watching a movie, and then in, in the interruption, you know, the Spirit went, hey, stop what you're doing and go see this guy. Philip was regularly just conversing with and sensitive to the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. He was asking him regularly... You know, what about this and how are we going to do this? The entrance of the Spirit into his life was a byproduct of his regular prayer life. This is the testimony of the book of Acts and and the lifestyle that was lived by Christians was that they walked with and talked with the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Now, we see from these believers that they were close to God in prayer. And that's how they heard the Spirit's voice telling them what to do. There's a really strong reason why they were bathed in prayer. And that is because all that we would do for God, let alone all that God would do in us, is a work of His Holy Spirit. There's nothing you have in your arsenal. There's nothing I have in my personal ability that enables me to get to point B in my life, whatever that is. This is a work of the presence of God. This is a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And if we're not regularly talking with Him, looking to Him, asking Him, if we're not regularly recognizing and depending upon Him to work in us, I'm afraid it's not going to happen. Jesus said as much in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will, be, it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The R in our pray methodology is requesting God's help in opening doors. Our goal is to be a church that prays, not because we're obligated to, but because we desire to be part of God's mission in the world. And he will need to open those doors for it, for us. So we don't feel like we have to kick in doors for him. We're saying open doors so that we don't have to obnoxiously be that person at work like Angela from the office or somebody that you just find yourself saying, what an irritating Christian they are. We, we want Jesus to move. We want Jesus to speak to us and say, hey, that person over there. Go talk to them. We want want to find ourselves continuously guided as we talk with the Lord. This encounter that I spoke of earlier where I ran into somebody who had a bunch of questions that just seemingly I was able to answer because they were similar life experiences, this is not a one-time thing. This has happened over and over again in my life and long before I went into vocational ministry or seminary and it was because a transition moment happened for me in college where I started praying, God, will you use me in some way? Now, I have a challenging time believing God for certain prayers. Like, you know, there are things in your life where you'll ask God for it and you want it so bad, but you think, I just don't know if I can trust God for this. And you ask, and then you ask your friends, and you ask your Bible study, and it's just hard. There is one prayer I can assure you that I don't have any trouble believing, but yet I don't pray it very often. And maybe you know what I'm talking about. It's the prayer, God, use me to tell somebody about you. I just think I'm sure he'll answer that prayer. He's done it again and again. The problem tends to be I'm not the person, I don't be, I'm not regularly saying, Lord, today use me to tell somebody about your love. The problem isn't that God's not ready to use me, it's that I rarely, if ever, focus enough to say, You please use me. Part two of our strategy is to request God's help in opening doors. And the Apostle Paul wrote about this in Colossians 4, chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful and thankful and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I might declare it clearly as I should Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Even the great apostle Paul said, my prayer, I need you to pray for me that God would open doors because even with all of his intellect, even with all of his experience with Jesus, he can't make anybody believe. You can't make anybody believe. You can't make anybody interested in believing. You can't make yourself believe. This is a gift. This is God's pursuit of us and God's pursuit of others. And all we're simply asking is, God, can we get into the flow of this with you? Because we'd like to be. Church's growth depends on it. One of the things I I mentioned uh, in my email to you was that if you were interested this month, uh, one of the things that I'm going to be doing is journaling a bit and and emailing you about it in my blog from this book called Outgrowing the Ingrown Church. And uh, we have copies in the back, and uh, they're free. Actually, the church paid for them, but they're free for you. So if you want one, this month I would encourage you to read along with me, and I'll say this. This is a book for people who consider themselves Christians. It's written to pastors, but it's also written to people who think, you know, I'm a mature leader, or I'm a leader, or I feel like I'm a mature Christian. This is a book that will challenge you. And so I warn you ahead of time, there's some great things in it. But there's some things that we actually need to spend time focusing on. And this month, I intend to do that. One of the things is asking, do we really recognize our desperate dependence for God to open every door for us? So Philip positioned himself. He was regularly talking with Jesus. And the third thing, Philip was available to serve his friend. In verse 30, it says, Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. There are a couple of things that indicate to me uh, Philip's availability to be used, and uh, really an availability to his friend. One was he asked the question. So, and this is a really simple like, tip for you, is that the best way into a conversation with somebody that you think might be somebody who wants to hear about Jesus is to ask them a question. It's to not say, hey, I'm going to tell you about God. You know, it's to to say, hey, uh, what do you think? Oftentimes in the course of my conversations with people, especially if they'll ask me about what I do for a living, or I'll ask them, did you have a church background growing up? I think that's a simple question, very non-threatening. And oftentimes that opens a door for a serious conversation because then I can follow up with, why'd you stop going? What about it did you hate? How crazy were the Christians you grew up with compared to the crazy Christians I grew up with? I mean, those kinds of questions really resonate with people, and they're non-threatening. Philip does the same thing. He walks walks up to the guy and says, what you reading? (laughs) Guy's like, yeah, I'm reading this thing. It's really hard because I can't understand it. (laughs) Now, that is a great day evangelistically when somebody says, can you interpret it for me? I actually had an experience like that in college. I was walking down to the laundry room in my dorm, and... Two young women were sitting, and I knew them from the cafeteria and around the dorm, and they were sitting there, and they looked all sad, and, and I said, you guys doing all right? And they go, and, and I, I honestly, I'm not exaggerating, one of the girls said to me, we just feel so lost in life. You got any direction for us? <laughs> I mean, that's hilarious to me as a Christian. You're like, no, I'm busy, but thanks for asking. No, I stopped, and, and I said, gosh, can I tell you about how I found direction in Christ? And they said, sure, you can tell us about that. See, I asked them, is it okay if I tell you about my my relationship with Jesus? They'd said, no, we think you're a loony for believing in Jesus. I'd have gone and done my laundry. But they said, yeah. And so I got to tell them about Christ. I asked them a question. I availed myself to them. In Philip's case, the need was for a Bible translator. Uh, we might... See that the needs of our friends and family are different. I, w- I would ask you, what, what are the needs of your friends? What, what are the needs of your coworkers? Have you thought through or prayed through any of that? That's some of what I'm going to encourage you to do this month is simply to pray for opportunities to love and care for people, to make yourself available. Additional, additionally, in terms of Philip's energy for this process of availing himself, which is the third of our acronym, we we position ourselves, we request for God's help, we avail ourselves to others, we make ourselves available. In Philip's case, uh, he ran, so he was ready. He ran to give help and, and give aid. And I would ask, are we available? Are we ready to come to somebody's aid when they call? Uh, Are we we sensitive to the opportunities because, you know, they come along? Just are we so preoccupied with our own life and things that we really have kind of taken ourselves out of the opportunities that are laying out in front of us? I'm not talking about doing crazy stuff. I'm not talking about walking up to strangers. I'm saying just keeping our eyes open for the opportunities that are right in front of us every day. In Philip's case, he could met a need there. In our case, are we willing to consider, for instance, even here at church, that we would show up early enough to welcome people who are new? Are we willing to rearrange our schedule to make that a priority? Are we willing to, when we come to church, say, you know, I'm in need, but I only see if there's somebody here that needs my attention, instead of walking up to them and saying, I have needs, meet my needs, is it possible that they need an encouraging word from me? I mean, even if we just start right here at Casa de Prism. Or have we become so ingrown that we think of our own needs and neglect to care for others? Are we willing to think creatively about how we can serve those in our lives who need to know the Lord? You know, being selfless and reflecting the gracious and willing spirit of Jesus was one of the ways we can stand out like a sore thumb in our workplace. When I was in college, I I was an RA at a dorm, and I put a verse on my fridge, and the verse was uh, Philippians chapter two verses fourteen through sixteen, which says, "Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly." to the word of life. And I did this because of something, an error I made, a, 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 an experience I had where I completely blew it. And that was, I, I was working in the cafeteria my sophomore year at the dorm where I would eventually become a resident advisor, which is a paid staff position. You get free room and board there. And as I was working, the director of the dorm came into the kitchen and he was telling me that my bucket of uh, mop uh, my mop bucket was dirty and I needed to put new clean water in there. And apparently it was a bad day for me because I looked at him like, you know what I'd like to do with this mop right now? Um, and, and and the look on my face was pretty obvious about where I thought he could place the mop. And so, um, and, and so when I went to interview like six months later for the job, he pointed that out to me. He said, let me ask you something. How do you deal with people giving you suggestions about your work product? And I went, Okay, I think, and then he reminded me of the situation, and I had to tell him, you know, I'm really sorry. You're right, I was in a bad way that day, and I didn't receive your direction very well, so I apologize. Well, I got the job, so apparently apologizing was a real key, and and being willing to admit I was a screw-up, that helped. Uh, But I also remembered the importance of being somebody who was different, and if you've ever worked at a restaurant, you know that people smile on the floor, but once they get through that golden door to the kitchen where all the employees are, it is a you-know-what fest. And I'm telling you, people just complain, and then they get nasty in a hurry. If you want to stand out at a restaurant working, just be the one who doesn't go behind the iron curtain and complain. Just smile a lot, nod a lot, have a great attitude. I'm not talking about positive confession. And I'm not not trying to get you to, you know, try to improve your world. I'm just saying, if you're looking for people to say, what is it about you? You don't have to talk about Jesus. You just kind of sort of have to act like him a little bit. Which is being kind to others and being gracious, being willing. I figured this out by failing and then apologizing. Perhaps that's something you need to consider too. Philip was available to serve others. He was prepared, he was positioned, he was regularly talking to God, he was requesting to be used, he was available, he was in a hurry, he ran to help, are we? The last thing Philip did was benefit from a divine appointment. In verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. This is what, if you want to be used by God, if you want to be part of the mission experiment, which is not just for March, but we're going to dare, I'm going to dare some of you this month to really concentrate and pray about this in your life and take advantage of the opportunity to experience some of the great thrills of the Christian experience. The Christian life was meant to be this this great adventure and you have opportunities right in front of you and this month I, I, I want to challenge some of you to experiment with it. To say, is this something that can really happen to me? Is there an opportunity that could come my way if I would just do these things? Just say, okay, I'm going to see who I have in my life who doesn't know the love of God. I'm going to ask God, whether by coming on Sunday nights or every day getting these messages from Pastor Chuck, and I'm going to pray, God, open my eyes to the opportunities ahead of me. Use me, please. I'm going to avail myself, which means that I'm going to allow myself a little bit of margin so that when somebody says, hey... Uh, I'm your neighbor, you don't know me, I need some help here, or you recognize an opportunity to be different than the others and, and, and serve in some particular way, you're availing yourself. But then there's going to come that moment where you have to yield to God's will. You have to be able to yield to that moment. You have to be able to actually speak. You have to be able to put yourself forward. You have to be able to step out and say, I'm going to do this. And, and what you are doing effectively is recognizing that there's a divine opportunity. It's an appointment. The, former, the late former chaplain of the Senate, Dick Halverson, used to give a benediction where he said, you go nowhere by accident. He was a chaplain of the U.S. Senate. He would say, wherever you go, God is sending you. Wherever you are, God has put you there. God has a purpose in you being there. Christ lives in you and has something he wants to do through you where you are. This was the admonition that you'd go nowhere by accident. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 18 through 20, Jesus even tells us, you don't have to be afraid of what you'll say. You'll just speak words from your heart. Just be you. You yield to God's plan to speak for him. And you may say, I don't know what I would say. I don't even know where to start. Well, the good news is there's some direction in Scripture for us in that regard. And it's not as difficult as you think. It's merely a matter of you sharing your story. You don't know what your story is? Well, that's what we're going to talk about next week. Let's pray together. Father, today we begin a journey, and I would pray that it would be a significant journey for some friends here that they would see you move in their lives in ways that you haven't in a while or haven't ever. Lord, uh, we can only make ourselves available to you because...